Matthew chapter 9. I want to kick off a new series, I believe. It'll be a series. I don't know how long, but um, I want to spend the next several weeks talking with you about changing my world. Changing my world, making it personal. Everyone wants to change the world, but you can't change the world until you change your world. And um, when we talk about change and we talk about where the world is at and where culture is at and what defines our lives in these days, it can seem insurmountable. The trials and the struggles and the, the issues in our culture today, especially in our country. Um, but God told us and has commanded us to go. Go into what? All the world. Go into all the world. I mean, that, he just started off on giving you the big picture. Go into all the world, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Not the good news that Jesus came down to earth and died on a cross for your sins so one day you could be in heaven. No, it's better than that. But good news that you can actually bring heaven to earth. Amen. Do you believe that? Do I need to start all over from the beginning? Come on, this is a kingdom church. This is not a heaven minded. Heaven is my goal. One day Jesus will rapture me up and take me home church. No, we preach that we can bring heaven to the earth. At least that's how Jesus taught us to pray. That his will in heaven be done on the earth. And sometimes we become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Amen. And the pressures and the struggles and the issues of life weigh down on us so much so that we neglect and we abandon the purpose for which we live. And I'm not here to negate the trials and struggles but this is not a message that will just help you Uh, because I want us to be a church and I believe the church that God is calling us to be is a church that is invested in its world around them to change the world means you have to be invested in it because there's no change without investment You don't change what's around you by complaining about it. And you don't change what's around you by criticizing it and calling it out and judging it. No, but God has called us to be a different people. God has taught us to be light in darkness. And here in Matthew chapter 9, and uh, I'm going to be in the New Living this morning, I think for all of my passages. But here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35... It says that Jesus, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was going through towns and villages in every area that he came into contact with, teaching in their synagogues, teaching and preaching, announcing the good news about the kingdom. Just want to point out real quick, just a little side note, that that Jesus wasn't preaching about Jesus. Jesus didn't preach what we preach today. He was talking about a kingdom. 
and the good news about a kingdom. See, most of us, we equate government with bad. But he came to equate government with good. He came to show us a government, right? That's what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a government. It is a governing authority, a governing body. That is a kingdom. Kingdom is a government that it actually would do good for you. Imagine that. Imagine a government that would actually look out for your health care and your well-being. Imagine a government that wants you to increase, not decrease. See, God only benefits when we're increasing. And God only benefits when we're in good health. And God only benefits when, when we are living as overcomers and not as defeated foe. That's the that's to the benefit of the kingdom, because the kingdom, uh, the 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 uh, wealth and the expansion and and what a kingdom looks like is determined by its people. If the king has this huge palace and he's doing well, but all the people are struggling and barely making it and running out of food and running out of water and sick all the time. Guess what? That's not a good kingdom. The kingdom of God is not built on what's at the top, but by the the people that make up the kingdom. And so there's actually good news about the kingdom. That's what Jesus came to preach. If Jesus came to a lot of our churches today, we'd have to introduce him to how we do church. Can we can we just get that down? He'd be like, what is all this? Amen. Jesus came with a mission and a purpose, and so he came teaching Preaching synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So the kingdom is not just in talk, but it's in action. It's demonstrated. He came to demonstrate the kingdom. He didn't just come and talk about the good news of the kingdom. and Hey, God wants you healed, but then leave you sick. God wants you whole, but leave you, leave you, you know, half, barely making it. No, he said, there's good news. And let me demonstrate it to you. Let me show you what this kingdom's all about. Now watch this. When he saw the crowds, this is after he taught. And this is after he preached. And this is after he healed. This is after he ministered. This is after he made mention of the good news of the kingdom. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless Like sheep without a shepherd. After they were taught about the good news of the kingdom. And after he preached about the good news of the kingdom. And after he demonstrated healing and signs and wonders and miracles. After all these things took place. He has compassion on them. Because they're still confused. They're still helpless. And they're still sheep without a shepherd. I thank God for miracles. And I thank God for teaching and preaching. But I want to tell you something today that might, might, might even rub you the wrong way, might impact you. Those aren't the things that change the world. You're reading it. You're seeing it for yourself. It's in, it's in my Bible. It's in your Bible. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. It's in the Bible. He taught. The kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God. He even healed diseases and illnesses. But recognize that what God can do for you on the outside is not what changes the world. It's not what changes your life. If that were so, 
he wouldn't have needed the 12 disciples. If that were so, the Pharisees would have gotten it. Their lives would have been absolutely changed by all the preaching and teaching that he did. We see the, the Israelites. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. The Israelites in the wilderness. All the miracles, all the signs, all the demonstrations that God did for them in the wilderness. And they still died. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're living miracle to miracle, you're not going to make it. You're not. That's not how we change the world. That's not how God is changing the world. There's got to be something more. And Jesus goes on and he says, there's more. They're like sheep without a shepherd. So he says to his who? Disciples. Now, let me tell you something. Disciples are not people that come and get. Disciples are people that go and do. This is what changes the world. Jesus stopped with himself and said, it's not enough. Disciples, those that have followed me, not for what you can get out of me, rich young ruler. How may I inherit eternal life? Oh, well, you know, follow the commands, honor your father. Oh, I've done those since I was a child. I've kept those things since I was a child. Okay, I got one for you. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And he went away sorrowful. Because there are consumers in the kingdom of God and there are contributors. If you can't go and sell all that you have, you won't lay down your life for me. You won't let them take your head. You won't let them crucify you as they're about to crucify me. You, you won't lay down. And every single one of the disciples except one died an unnatural death for the kingdom's sake. They didn't come in following Jesus for more money. They didn't come following Jesus because he was going to help all their relationship. They didn't come following Jesus because he was going to expand their business. He didn't, they didn't come following Jesus for all the stuff that he could do for them. They followed Jesus for all the stuff they could do for him. So this is not a message for consumers. This is not a message for people that walk in and just want to get, 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 get. But you recognize that what I have been given and the measure that I've been given is an indicator of what I have to give away. Robert said it this morning that we've got to be people that aren't just consuming, but we are contributing to the overall effort of the kingdom. The disciples were Jesus's answer for a people lost, confused and helpless, not miracles, not signs and wonders, not teaching and preaching. Although all those things should be in manifestation today. Yes, they should and still are. That's not what we're talking about today. God is still doing miracles. God is still healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blind eyes and deaf ears. And just because you don't see it in America, don't be tricked into thinking it's not still happening today. You just happen to live in a country that's too familiar with the works of God. And so we don't get to uh, receive that impartation the way we ought to. But if you go to Africa and you go to other countries where they don't have what we have, it's happening every day. Every day. So I'm sorry that you're living in America and you've got Christian radio stations out the 
And you got Christian bookstores on every corner and you've got so many Bibles you don't even know what to do with them. Half of them collect dust anyways. That's America. But you get outside of the American culture and you start seeing what God's doing around the world. It's not any different than the book of Acts. Isn't that right, Bill? Go to India and you can see this stuff. People with leprosy still being healed of leprosy today. So there's there's no conversation about that's been done away with. That's that's if you're buying into that, you're you're missing out on what the kingdom's all about. If God put a timeline on what he was going to do in the earth for his people, his children, his uh, uh, citizens of his kingdom, then, then, then you're not serving the God I serve. The God I serve is still working miracles today. It might not be his problem. It might be ours. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And Jerry Ann pulled this out this morning. This was for those of you that were in our our Elevate pre-huddle today. She texted me yesterday afternoon and said, do you mind if I share something for the Elevate pre-huddle? That's for all of our team members and people that are serving you today. Uh, they, uh, we, we gather together uh, in the mornings before service. It's the, service be- it's the pre-service. It's the service before service. And we are creating an atmosphere and an environment conducive for you to receive from God today. And we're getting geared up and charged up because they are contributors. They are people that contribute to what God is doing today. Man, what if we had a contributor mentality? Then, then, then Robert wouldn't have to beg you to lift your hands and, and Robert wouldn't have to pump and prime you, but you came in that way and, and we wouldn't, the pastor wouldn't even have to ask you to give or to, to tithe or to sow or to invest in the king. Yeah, that's, that's part of being a contributor in the kingdom of God. But so much that we do today is how does it benefit me? Rather than how do I, How am I benefiting my job? Anybody go to work on Monday thinking, man, I wonder how I can be a benefit of my place of employment today. Most of us are just waiting for Friday to say, where's my check? Here's my hours. And don't you miss a second. I had overtime on this day. Where's that? Come on. It's a different mentality. He said the harvest is great. But the workers are few. And Jerry Ann said this morning that it's all about perspective. What is he talking about harvest? I'm sure the disciples and Peter and John and maybe even some of them that were agriculturally minded are thinking harvest. This is dead stuff. They're lost. They're confused. They're helpless. We talk about harvest. No, the harvest is, is is those that can give you give all their money to the church. Give tens of thousands of dollars. No, that's the harvest. That's the harvest. The harvest is the ones that aren't receiving healing, but they're 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 able to pray for others for healing. Right? That that's the harvest. Harvest is the ones that are all doing a hundred. Not not these. I mean, you just taught, you just preached, you just healed, you just performed all these miracles, and they're still lost and confused. What harvest are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's the harvest. 
It's all about perspective. See, the world that you go into and, and the boss that you complain about and, 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 and the other employees and your peers that, that you just you despise and they talk about you and you talk about them. And, and, and the job that's just so mundane and so ordinary and so familiar. And it's just like, ah, oh, I got to go back to work. Ah, ah, ah. You, it can either be a problem or it can be a harvest. Jesus didn't see a problem. I mean, I see a problem. <laughs> As a pastor, I'm thinking, well, what else you got to do, Jesus? You taught them, you preached to them, you healed their, you fixed their boo-boos, you give them band-aids. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you set them up. Man. It's like, man, the Holy Spirit was here. Why are you still, why are you still struggling? I mean, I, I'll be honest, I do that sometimes. I just preached about that. Why are you having this problem? Why are you still cussing? You know, that's not kingdom. You know, that's not. Because teaching and preaching and miracles. See, sometimes we want miracles where God wants responsibility. I'll come over here with that one. <laughs> I think about 50% of you just like. I just lost you. You can live in the wilderness with miracles and die, or you can get out of the wilderness with some responsibility and learn how to walk around a wall and get it to come down. Thank God for miracles. Thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy. But there comes a time where we pick up and we say, God, I understand you're sovereign, but I'm also responsible. And you placed me on this earth in your image, in your likeness to function and operate just like you. And you gave me dominion and authority to rule over this earth. And I'm going to walk in what you gave to me. And I'm not going to cry out, God, stop this storm. Take away this trial. Help my financial situation. I'm going to start taking up some responsibility and start talking to the storms in my life instead of talking to you about my storms. Or talking to other people about your storms. That's another one. I can't go there. He said to his. Notice he's not. He's not just talking to any folk. He's not just talking to anybody. He's not. He's not directing this conversation to just. He said to his disciples. The harvest is great. But the workers are few. He's saying Peter. John. Bartholomew. Thaddeus, you got to see it the way I see it. Yeah, they're broken, but that's our harvest. The time is ripe. The time is ripe. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Wow. So you're saying all I have to do. Is get on my hands and knees. And when I see someone struggling, pray to the Lord. And he'll send someone to them. Well, that, that, that doesn't sound right. Wait, wait a minute. This is a disciple. And the only job I have, the only thing I can do is pray that he'll send someone else. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. We're not done. Chapters and verses are just there so you can find stuff when I tell you to find it. It's all one book. And Jesus called his 12 what? Disciples. Together. And gave them what? Let's try that again. And gave them what? 
authority. I wonder why they would need authority. I have never had authority over something that I did not need to have authority over. That I did not need to exercise. If someone gave me authority, I needed to exercise it. Hello? He gave them authority. For a reason. There's a purpose. To what? To cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Jesus called his 12 disciples together. He's saying, you pray to the Lord of harvest. And then he says, oh, yeah, that's you. Pray to the Lord of harvest for workers. You're the worker. You're the one I'm sending. You're the one I'm authorizing. I'm giving you the authority to go. Not just to teach and not just to preach and not just to perform miracles. But so that we can see the world changed. Go to Mark chapter four. Many times we, we set out with good intentions to see the world changed, to be a light in darkness, to be a salt in the earth. We want to see the world change, right? I know everyone in this room, you want to see the world change. Just nod your head, I'll believe you. We want to see people that are lost in darkness. Hurting, broken. We want to see their lives changed. And there's so much that we can do that we don't do. And I'm not an evangelist. That's not my gifting. I'm the one evangelists usually hate because I'm a teacher. So evangelists are usually up here and they're all loud and they're all over this place and they're jumping up and down onto the floor, off the floor and standing on chairs. That's what the evangelists did in my day when they'd come to my church. They'd stay, they would break the first three chosen chairs on the row uh, every single time, man. We have one guy we knew, we knew every single time he comes, he's going to run down the back aisle and he's going to run back up the front aisle while preaching. They're exciting people, man. They love to see people. Changed and delivered and set free. They love to, to encourage people. You can come out and they are zealous and passionate about coming out of darkness and into light. They are passionate about seeing the, the, the people that did not even know Jesus far from Jesus coming to the kingdom. But then when they sit under a teacher like me, they're like, let me guess. You got another bullet, got another point, got another outline. What's the title of your message today? Evangelists don't have titles. They just shoot from the hip, man. Where's your notes? What notes? All I need is a Bible. Praise Jesus. Here's my Bible. It's like torn ragged. And then, you know, the little little thing hangs out like this because they don't use that. They're all over the place. They don't need to mark their spot. They know exactly where it is. That's an evangelist. I'm going to teach pretty soon on the giftings, the fivefold ministry. It's going to be good. You're going to learn about the prophet. You're going to learn about the evangelist. You're going to learn about the teacher. You're going to learn about the apostle. You're going to learn about the pastor. It's good stuff. And usually, you know, Christians are the worst, man. I just, can I just say that? They, if it's not us, we criticize it. I, I just, I'm sick of that. 
I'm sick of evangelists saying, why are they always teaching? Don't they, we got to go out and get people saved. And then I'm tired of the teachers saying, well, all they want to do is just is get converts. Well, Jesus didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. We complement each other. We need all five of them in operation at the same time. We need evangelists and we need teachers and we need pastors. And I'm tired of pastors getting upset with evangelists and evangelists getting upset with teachers and apostles getting upset with prophets and prophets getting upset with. It's it's ridiculous. We need all five of them. And just because it's not you embrace what you don't have, because that's the only way it all works. We need black people and we need white people and we need we need educated people and we need people that just shoot from the hip and say, man, I don't know how to education. I just do it. And we need visionaries and we need people that are administrators and organizers and say, no, no, we got to have all this stuff. In the and the guys, no, 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 that's that's too much. We just just go. We need all of it. God, what a boring world it would be if we were all you. Okay, so since I've ruined this message completely, go to Mark chapter 4. I put on my Christmas crap. That, that was my evangelist. That's as good as it gets. I got to go back to my notes. I, got, I can't keep going for too long. I got to see something. Verse 26. Jesus also said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces, it's amazing how much stuff we use and we don't understand how it, uses, how it works. Like I, I, I use this for my notes and, you know, I, I call myself a techie a little bit and, you know, I, I, I like technology. I have no clue. How when I hit this button, it comes on. I I don't know how that works. I mean, I drove here today. Got Pastor Caleb back there. He could probably tell you exactly all the little things that happen in the intricacies of how the vehicle started. As soon as you put the key in, you turn the ignition. Or, you know, nowadays it's hit the brake, push the button, whatever it is that starts. I don't know. It just got me here. But then when we get to God, we act like we got to know exactly how it works. And if I don't understand, and I guess I can't receive. I got some farmers in here that can attest. And in fact, I was meeting with Van earlier this week and he was giving me a little rundown on how the rain uh, can hinder the growth of the uh, crops, the growth of the cotton crops. And so uh, he was giving me a little rundown about how the water gets, it gets too saturated and the thing can't open up and then you lose the crop. But I can tell you right now, he doesn't fully understand how you put a seed in the ground and you water it, you give it sunlight, you get it in the right soil, and it just produces a crop. Because there's some things that God does beyond our reason and beyond our understanding. It doesn't mean he wants us in the dark, but he wants a level of trust. And sometimes our knowledge hinders our trust. I'm not saying remain ignorant. I'm saying pursue God as much as you can and desire to learn as much as you can. But at the end of the day, he's going to move beyond your capacity because that's what he does. So the farmer puts the seed in the ground. He sleeps. He just goes to sleep. But he does not understand how it happens. And the earth produces the crops on its own. I said on its own. 
First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of what of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. See, God has an order to everything. God has an order to everything. Like the tithe comes out first, not after you pay all the bills and then see if you have 10% left over. There's an order. It's called the first 10%. Like sex before marriage is the order. Doesn't uh, 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 sex after marriage, sex before marriage is out of order. I want to make sure that we all understand this. That sex outside of marriage is sin and is against God's order. Sex is only right in marriage, in the marriage with the one, not two, three, five, one that you are married to. Can I get a full amen on that? I'm not going any further. So we clear that up. Last thing I need, that pastor over there at Anchor Faith Church promoting promiscuity, whatever, adultery and everything else. Oh, man. So there's an order. First, the leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. I enter his courts with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes before you start asking God for all your stuff. That's order. You'll find your requests and your petitions will go a lot better when you enter with a thankful, grateful heart. And your list might start to slim down. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really need that. What I've got's good enough. That's Thanksgiving. I enter. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with the sickle for the harvest time has come. In this passage, the farmer is you and I. We're the man. And he says that he scatters seed, but it, really the word ought to be translated sows, S-O-W-S, sows the seed. Because uh, a farmer is intentional about where they put the seed. And notice he says the kingdom of God is like a farmer that sows seed. I mean, you could say, a, I mean, what we would say is a farmer that grows crops. Right? Because we always go to the end result. What kind of farmer are you? I'm a cotton farmer. I'm a pecan farmer. Where I've come from, we call them pecans, but whatever. Whatever kind of farmer. No one says I'm a seed farmer. But see, God is identifying that everything he gives you is always in seed form. Because if you can't handle it in its smallest state, you'll mishandle it in its greater state. So he says a farmer scatters or sows seed. You don't just put your seed anywhere. 
The kingdom is like the seed and you have to believe in its potential. You have to believe in what's inside of it. You have to see a tree when there isn't a tree. You have to see a plant when there isn't a plant. You have to see. I heard one person talking about potential one time and uh, he said, God has supplied us with all of the resource that we ever need. So the table started out as a tree. So when you say I need a table, God says, I gave you a tree. Now make a table. So everything in our lives, we have to recognize that God gives us in seed form. And I can promise you right now, you have levels of influence and you have a world. That's why it's called change my world, because we we think world and we think big picture, but you have a world. And you're probably discounting it or discrediting it or saying, well, if I did this and if I had this or if I had this promotion, if I had this many people working for me, if I had kids, if but God has always given you opportunities in seed form to determine, will you take care of the seed so that you can grow a tree? You want a tree? You want a family? You, you want finances? You want a business? Handle what you have. Because bad employees make terrible business owners. Bad babysitters don't make great parents. Are you hearing me? You've got something in your hand today. And God is using the seed to determine if you can handle the tree. But we put the seed over here. And we say, God, where's my tree? So we have these insignificant moments, these insignificant opportunities. And I've said this many times that that insignificant, that that significant moments seem insignificant in the moment. I'll say that again. Significant moments seem insignificant in the moment. Because it's small. It's easy to walk right by. It's easy to pass opportunities to walk in love with your spouse. But you pray for a healthy, fruitful marriage. The opportunities are small and can seem insignificant because God is trying to determine value. And God wants to use what everyone else would pass by. Everyone else would pass by the helpless, hurting, lost, and broken. But then Jesus speaks up and he says, harvest is ripe. Even after I've taught them, even after I've preached, even after we've demonstrated miracles, the harvest is ripe. That's the opportunity. In Matthew chapter 13, we we see a a reference to soil. It's called the parable of the sower. And we see Jesus telling a parable where a, an individual, another farmer, another person scattering seed. He, he places the seed in four locations where the seed falls in four different types of locations. One, it just fell on the wayside, fell on the side of the road 
It couldn't take root at all. It couldn't get in at all. Obviously, that's unfruitful. Seed doesn't grow on top. It grows when it's planted. It's amazing when we discover the difference between planting and burying. Last week, we talked about the servant, the servants, then one of them buried his talent. The other two planted their talents. Most of the time when someone passes away, we bury them. But Jesus wasn't buried. He was planted because when you plant something, it brings forth fruit. And so the son of God was planted. So guess what God expected to get back? More sons and more daughters for the kingdom of God. And you and I are a product of that. See, planting, we usually allude to life. Like we're just getting started, man, and something's going to grow. But burying, we allude to death. That's the end. That's over. And I wonder how many situations that we've been planted in, but we think we've been buried in. Well, what's the difference? Your expectation. My expectation is different when I plant something versus when I bury it. That's why Jesus went to that last servant and he said, you buried my talent in the ground, you should have at least planted it with the bank so that it could have produced an investment, so it could have produced a harvest. Because when you plant something, you don't just get back what you planted. When you plant something, you get back what you planted, plus its ability to produce more that can be planted. It's the cycle that God designed from the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. And fruitful and multiply doesn't happen when you bury stuff. And some of us feel like we are buried in situations, but I wonder if you've really been planted in a situation and that God is looking on you and watching you to determine how you will respond to the the pressure and the weight. Because the planting and burying, they both experience pressure. They're both in places you cannot see and they are obscure. And people walk right by and say, there's nothing in there. But God knows what he put in the ground. It's all your expectation. And expectation dictates your response. And you'll never have a response beyond your level of expectation. Expectation is what you go in with and your response is what you come out with. But they're both dictated by the same thing. You'll never have a response outside of an expectation. And so he's explaining this parable in verse 18. He says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. See, understanding is important. Because the evil one, he'll come and he'll snatch away the seed that was planted in your heart. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's where you got to start. You got to immediately receive it, not casually, but immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. So we've got to put down roots. That would be the one that receives a miracle, but doesn't receive the responsibility to maintain the miracle. Because you can obtain one thing, but it's different when you learn to maintain it. And what you obtain has to be maintained. 
So they don't have deep roots. They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by worries or the cares and the riches, the lures of wealth. So no fruit is produced. See, it doesn't matter how you get it. It matters what you do with it. It's not good enough that the seed's being planted today. It's not good enough that you receive it with joy and shout and amen. But walk out. And the second a trial hits, we abandon. Or that the cares and the riches of the world are more promising than the word. And we sacrifice the permanent for the temporary. But he goes on to say that the seed that fell on good soil, it represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. Truly hear and understand. And they produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. We recognize that the quality of the ground determines the quality of the harvest. The quality of the ground determines the quality of the harvest. And so I have a question for every seed-bearing or seed-carrying person in this room. Have you planted the seed Or have you buried the seed? Because you won't change your world until you change you. And I'm saying today that God has given you opportunities. Yeah, they're in seed form. And yeah, they're minuscule. Yeah, it's even obscure. and, And nobody would even notice or recognize it. But you have opportunities that pass you by every single day. Every 24 hours. In the places that you go that have become so familiar and mundane. And you know how they're going to treat you. You know how they're going to respond to you. You know what they're going to say. Oh, you know, they're, they're, they're lost. They, they, I mean, look, Jesus is looking at hurting, broken people and saying the harvest is ripe. But we look at hurting, broken people and say they're never going to get it. God, just take me home. And it could be that the very thing that we complain about or the very thing that we criticize or even the very thing that we judge is the very reason why God placed us in that place. Pastor Crystal, I was talking with her the other day about their son, Isaac. And what looks like a challenge. And why God, why us? I can look at him and I can say, I know why. Because that child needs someone that is secure in their identity. On the inside, not the outside. Because that child needs parents that aren't just moved by what people say, but that they have some gumption behind them and they've got some tough skin and they've got an identity that is not in crisis, but is secure and they're going to raise. That's why what we thought was a challenge and what we thought was a problem. You're actually finding out you're the solution. I'm the reason why. For every challenge and for every trial represented in this room, for every struggle, learn and recognize that you are the reason why. 
Why is this happening to me? Why is this failing? Why isn't this working? Why do I keep dealing with this? Why am I doing this? Why is this happening? Because of what is in you. Nobody else sees. Changing our world is actually simpler than we think. But we've got to be soil that the seed can be placed in. Otherwise, we end up trying to give away something we don't even have. Peter and John, when they came to that lame man at the gate called Beautiful, begging for alms, silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have, we give. You can only give away what you have. You can't. Give away joy to someone else if you're not experiencing joy in your life. You can't give away hope to someone else if your situation and your life is just hopeless. So recognizing a harvest begins with recognizing a seed. And if you want to have a harvest, you've got to work the seed. You've got to put the seed And some of us are afraid to plant the seed because we think we'll lose the seed. But you got to plant it, not bury it. What's the difference? My expectation. My expectation of what this seed of walking in love with this individual will do. My expectation of this seed financially of giving to someone else and how it will come back and bless me. The seeds that God has given us. And guys, they are seeds. They're called seeds for a reason. People say, oh, pastor, you know, if I won the lottery, man, I would tithe. But you don't tithe off of what you have now. It goes on to say that the farmer does not know how it happens. He doesn't know how it works. And guess what? You don't either. God usually gives us opportunities in seed form and in conditions and situations where it doesn't seem like it would work. Like he'll have you walk in love with an individual where love doesn't seem like what they need. They, Lord, they need a good hate slap. They don't need love. They need a rebuke. God says, no, walk in love. But God, love won't work. He says, if you plant it, if you bury your love, then you, that's what you'll get. But if you plant it, then it'll come back. He says, he doesn't know how it works. He goes on to say that the earth yields the crop and there's an order. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain. There's an order to harvest. Why are we expecting end results when we haven't taken the first step? There are things that have to be revealed before we get certain responses back. Walking in love to a world. Showing the love of God, changing your world is one step at a time. 
So many times as Christians, we just become end goal. We have an end goal mentality. Okay, if I do this, then I'm going to get this. You might have to walk in love with that coworker for three years. And they may spit in your face, deny your God. You keep planting the seed. You keep planting the seed. Because guess who they're going to come to when all hell breaks loose? Guess who they're going to come to when they've got nowhere else to go? They're going to go to that person that, man, you know, even when I was dogging them, even when I was rebuking them, they, they just kept showing the love of God to me. They kept talking. They kept asking if they could pray with me. That was that one time I came to work sick and they asked if they could pray with me. And I laughed at them in their face and said, that prayer stuff doesn't work. But, man, now I've got cancer. and They gave me six weeks to live. I might as well try the prayer stuff. Because of seeds that were planted, not buried. So we've got to have an order. There's got to be an order. And then lastly, he says that the farmer, he will immediately put in the sickle. It reveals urgency. Urgency for a world that is lost. Guys, most of us only hang out with other Christians. How urgent are we? Do we really believe that the Lord's return is imminent? Do we really want to see as many people come into the kingdom as possible? Or have we become comfortable and complacent? I'm not saying hang out with them and do everything they do. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. But there's a way to win them. And there's a way to love them. I was just talking with Matt Webb this morning. But the church has presented one ditch or the other for so long that when they actually see people walk down the middle of the road, they're blown away by it. He was talking with a couple that was living... In sin, in a culture that's growing more and more these days. And they said, man, it's just like, you really want to hang out? You really want to talk? He's like, yeah. Well, do, do you accept what we're doing? Well, no. But that doesn't mean I can't love you. And honestly, if I really love you, I want to see you walk away from the train tracks that are about to derail your life and come towards the light. But presenting the gospel without relationship doesn't do much good. We want to blast what right and wrong in people's lives, but they have no value. They have no value for you and your opinion. They have no, no trust that you really care about them. And really bl- Take them out to lunch. Don't just read their mail. Are you hearing me? What kind of world are we really expecting to change? Now, the ones that Jesus was bold and brash with were the Pharisees that thought they had it all together. But on the inside, they were garbage and had nothing to give away. That's who he confronted. That's who he 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 he, he said, man, you're, you're 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 living in sin. You don't even value God's laws, but yet you're presenting it to other people like they're going to die and go to hell if they don't do this. That's who Jesus confronted. But he was he was going out to lunch with guys climbing up in trees. 
harlots and adulterers. Come on. We've got a world to change. And just as it is dangerous to demand a harvest too soon, it is dangerous to not collect a harvest when it is ready. It's dangerous to uproot something that still needs to remain in the ground. But it's also dangerous, am I right, Van, to leave something in the ground too long when it needs to come up. There's a window. There's a window. And some of us have been sitting idle on relationships or people or or things where God see the really honestly the only thing that God's looking out of uh, looking for out of you and I is obedience that's really what it comes down to the farmers just got to be obedient okay now's the time to scatter the seed we're not plucking stuff up out of the ground right now we're we're getting the seed down and we're 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 watering it and we're taking care of it but then when the time comes now it's time to get it up get the sickle out start getting that thing out of there we've got to get it out of the ground it's ready to work it's ready to be used harvest is the tricky thing because you know when i was growing up Harvest was, you know, just put your hands in the air and, oh, thank you, God, for the harvest. The harvest is coming, man. Oh, it's just sit back and receive. That's how they preached it in my churches. But since I've been living here for seven years, I don't see these guys at harvest time. I thought harvest time was where you could kick back in the lazy boy and and, and just all the harvest comes in. You're just here. It all comes. I work so hard putting it. They work harder at harvest time than they do any other time of the year. Am I right, Tommy? Am I right, Van? I don't even see them. Their families don't see them. They're up before the, the sun is up. They're out late at night. Harvest time is the hardest time. That's where the most work is involved. What kind of work are we willing to put in to get the harvest? What kind of work are, are we willing to invest, worship team, if you come, to, to, to see? There's this, look, you've been sowing seeds. Don't give up at harvest time. Don't give up at harvest time. There's so many indicators that we try to look at to determine if somebody's ripe, if somebody's ready. Well, they got to ask me, you know, if they want to go to church. They got to have this together. They got to put this. They got to have this all together. No, it's not what Jesus said. I can promise you right now, you've got people around you that you have been sowing seed in and they are more ready than you think. They're more ready than you think. Guys, I want to see a bold church in these last days. Yesterday, we kicked off college football season. Woo! Bulldogs, Gators, Seminoles, Crimson Tide, whatever else. What if we were fans of Jesus as we were fans of our teams? You know, when I see a fan of a team, they don't have to tell me what team they follow. It's very identifiable and it's very visible. And this is the other thing. When they have someone oppose them, they get even more bolder. 
you don't like the Gators? You're not a gate. No, the Gators are winning the champion. The Gators are going all the way. Forget the Bulldogs. Forget the Seminole. They get even more bolder. But somebody opposes our Christianity. If they even know we're Christians in the first place. Fans are loud. They're fanatics. They follow their teams. They know every little detail. They know who's hurt. They know the score. They know the record. They know what needs. I mean, when you get to the end of college football season and all the dumb little metrics that they have to determine who's really going to the playoffs and and who's going to be national. And then all the arguments come out of who should be on top of who and and by wins and percentages. And, well, they didn't have as hard of a schedule as we. They know all that silliness. But then when it comes to the word. We're not passionate. We are not more passionate on Saturday than we are on Sunday. We're not more passionate and carry our team with us everywhere we go to boast it off and to be proud. But then when it comes to Jesus, we can't even come in here and raise our hands. We'll stand in line and we'll give our tithes to stadiums and to universities. But we can't give God what is due him. South Georgia, we can do this. You can be crazy about Jesus. You can be madly in love with God. You can be purposeful and passionate about the kingdom of God. You can do it. I see you yell. I see you chant. You know the songs. As soon as the music starts going, they're chanting and they're chopping and they're doing all their stuff. But we come in here and he has to beg you to lift your hands. We serve the king of kings. We serve the Lord of Lords. We serve the creator of the universe. We serve the one that bled and died for you. There is no team that's going to get my shout. There's no team that's going to get my joy. There's no team that's going to get my passion. to share it with everybody whether they like it or not. Jesus said if you go in one town and they don't want you there, wipe off the soles of your feet and move on to the next town. Quit casting your pearls before swine. The world's going to know. They don't even have to ask. I shouldn't tell somebody I'm a Christian and they're surprised. I'll tell you, the world has a higher standards for Christians than some Christians do. They have an expectation of how we ought to live while we're dumbing it down and trying to bring it down to a livable lifestyle. The world knows. You're a Christian? I didn't think y'all talked like that. I didn't think you come to places like this. I didn't think you did that. I want Jesus to be my Lord, not just my Savior. I don't want Jesus, I don't want to celebrate Jesus just because of what he did for me. I want to celebrate Jesus because who he is for me. He is Lord. Savior is what he did. Lord is who he is. He is. 